Uh, my name's Jacob. I'm one of the pastors. I want to welcome our uh, online community in and all the people who will be watching um, this week. We're so glad that each of you are joining us to hear more about Esther. Esther's story of becoming a queen is um, it's a great story. It's the kind of story we love. It's the story of an orphan uh, making it all the way to the palace. So it's the story of someone who is really low down, making it up to the highest place. And if you never heard the story of Esther, the way she becomes queen is kind of uh, peculiar in that the, the previous queen, Queen Vashti, is given a request from her husband, King Xerxes, who loves to party. And he's throwing this big party, and he's been uh, drinking for seven days. So he's, he's been drinking for seven days, and then he comes up with a great idea. So just, a, just a, an idea. If you've been drinking for seven days, it might not be a great idea uh, when you have it. So his great idea was that for, for his wife, Queen Vashti, to parade around the other men, the other drunken men, so he could show her off. And Queen Vashti's response was really important. This is her response. Um, no. That was her response. And what we see is that this was not just a domestic denial, you know, something between a husband and wife, but it was actually a very public rebuke. Uh, that in their society where women were subjugated by men over and over, used for their bodies, uh, used for their attractiveness, that this was a really critical time in the, in the empire for a woman to stand up to a man. And so King Xerxes faced a difficult decision, and he decided to take the crown away from Vashti. It was then that he put on this Miss Persia uh, beauty pageant all across the empire to try and find the most beautiful girl in the land to be his next queen, Some think over a thousand young women came and lived within the king's court for the rest of their lives, getting one night with the king, and he got to choose. And Esther was the one, after her one night with the king, that he said, this is the one I want to be my wife. Esther was an orphan, an exile, meaning she was a part of the Jewish faith and Jewish people who'd lost their heritage, lost their religion, and were living under an oppressive empire. And she was the one that rose up to the very top, to the palace. So Esther had everything at her fingertips. She had risen to this high place, and she lived in a place of of banquets and parties and riches and comfort and safety. The orphan made it to the palace. And what I want to tell you today is that as good as the palace is, as good as uh, comfort and riches and parties and safety are, as as, as good as the palace is, the palace is not your purpose. The palace is not your purpose. And some of you feel this tug. I've been talking to, to many of you. You know, you feel this tug on your heart that God's got something for you. You know, you're thinking maybe there is something more for my life from age 17 to 70. There's no age restrictions on, on this. You're like, I'm wondering what's going on here. And I think it might be that God's trying to let you know that he has more for your life than the palace, that your purpose is more than the palace. And, and when I say palace, what I'm talking about is that thing that you uh, have wanted to achieve or attain. Maybe, a lot of us have made this image of what our life should look like in our brain, maybe even when we were little boys or little girls. And we come to this place and, and we're thinking, this is how my relationships should look like. This is how my business should look like. And, and it hasn't brought us all that we hoped that it would. And so Esther is going to learn what her purpose is in the most difficult situation that she's ever found herself in. Isn't that interesting? She's going to actually find her purpose in the most difficult situation she's ever been in, which is why I can't let any of you off of the hook. Some of you are like, I barely made, my, <laughs> made it in here this morning, right? I'm being bombarded. Some of you are like, this is the weakest I've ever been. There's no way I should be a part of a conversation about purpose. But Esther shows us that it's actually in that place that we might find. It's in that place 
that we hear the question. You want to know what the question is? Just play along. I want to know, act like you want to know what the question is. Here's the question. Who knows? But maybe God brought you to this place in your life for such a time as this. Who knows? But maybe you're right here, right in this spot in your life for just this time. And so here's what happens in Esther's life. Um, Last week, I introduced you to two characters in the Esther story. If you weren't here, don't worry about it. I'll tell you who they are. Esther and King Xerxes. We've already talked about them. Esther went after, initially went after safety over her purpose, and Xerxes clearly sought after pleasure over his purpose. So we looked at them. You're going to get two more this week, and the first is a guy named Haman. Haman had the highest seat of honor of anyone in the empire except for the king. So he was a noble, but he was known as the highest noble. He actually had a really cool seat at the city gates where people came and bowed down to him. And it's there that Haman is disrespected by Mordecai. So these are our two guys for today, Haman and Mordecai. At the king's gate, everybody's bowing down to Haman, but Mordecai won't bow down. And so Haman, here's all you need to know about Haman. We'll talk a lot more about him next week. Haman is the villain of the story, okay? And, and so Haman is so disrespected, he's so embarrassed that this Jew, this man on the street, won't bow down to him, that he decides that he will not only kill Mordecai, he will kill every Jew in the entire empire. He goes and gets the king's signet ring, which is this official ring. What kind of king would hand over, a, uh, hand over his signet ring to some noble? A king who's focused on a lot of other things than he should be, right? And so he gives his signet ring to Haman. Haman uh, produces an official order for the entire empire that every Jews should be killed and their homes should be plundered. This is in the scriptures, Esther chapter 3. It says, dispatches were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with the orders to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, a young, young and old, women and children on a single day. The couriers went out, spurred on by the king's command, and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink but the city of Susa was bewildered. So this king who gave up his purpose for pleasure issues a nationwide holocaust and tops it off with a cocktail with Haman. They sit there and watch the city. When Mordecai, so that's our second guy, when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. I told you last week that there's no mention of God in the book of Esther, the only book in the Bible, no mention of God, no mention of worship, no mention of prayer. It's a peculiar book. But this is the closest we see, this verse, uh, uh, to see that this is indeed a book about the people of God because this type of public grief, putting ashes on your head, sackcloth, that was the way that Jewish people said to God, do you know what's going on down here with us? I mean, it was a very visible, very loud kind of grieving, lamenting to say, God, what's going on in my nation? Do you know what's going on? We're hurting down here. People are being taken out. There's, there's, there's evil people doing evil things. And Mordecai, a man who would not bow down to a fool, now realizes that his noble action has set in motion the slaughter of his people. And so he grieves that before God. He trusts God, but he's wailing loudly to him in this moment. And I didn't tell you, Mordecai is Esther's dad, okay? Now, most people will tell you that Mordecai is Esther's cousin, and the reason is, is because he's actually her cousin. They're right, okay? Here's what the scripture says, so pay attention. Esther chapter two, so we're going back to learn more. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah 
whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter. You may call that cousin. I call it dad. I've known too many people who, for whatever reason, were taken in, and they say, that person's my mom. You know, that's my dad. (laughs) And actually, in my own family, we have seen this lived out. My dad had uh, two cousins who were orphaned as little girls when they were all in elementary school. And these two orphan girls came to live with my dad and his parents when they were in elementary school. So this is my family. So I grew up, and they call my dad, who is their cousin, I've never heard them call him anything, but their brother. And my grandfather, they call daddy. So just kind of hold that in your heart when you hear how Mordecai sends a message to Esther with a copy of the edict that all the Jews are going to be killed. And Mordecai, her dad, says, Esther, you've got to go into the king's court and beg for us. For the people outside of the palace. Beg for mercy. Plead for us. Save us, Esther. Now Mordecai can't, he's not standing face to face with Esther. He's outside of the palace. But he's sending this message in. And this is Esther's response. And I know this is a lot, guys. So just just give me this, just word by word, hear this. This is what Esther's response to Mordecai is. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But, she says, 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Do you see what Esther is saying? Esther is saying, Dad, you don't understand the palace. I'm in the palace now. We used to be out. I know our family's outside. I'm in the palace. Let me break it down to you. This is not how the palace works. You don't just go into the king. Nobody just walks in to the king's court. And, and in fact, she says there's a law that if you do that, it's punishable by death unless the king shows you favor and he lowers his gold scepter. But this is really important. She ends it by saying, I haven't been called to go into the king's court for 30 days. What does that mean? Well, the king never sleeps alone, okay? The king never sleeps alone. He has hundreds of concubines. And Esther's saying, I've not been invited to see the king in 30 days. You see what she's saying? She's saying, I don't know where I stand with the king. Vashti lost her crown for not walking around the gardens like she was told. What do you think's going to happen to me? If I go in and say we need to reverse a royal edict, Mordecai, dad, you don't know what you're asking of me. She's saying, you don't understand my life. You don't understand the palace. You don't understand my life. You ever get that from your kids? Like, you don't understand my life. You have no idea what it's like to be a teenager. You're like, I was one. (laughs) I mean, I have some idea. All right, your adult kids say to you, Mom, you don't understand what it's like to have a toddler. I had a toddler. Um, It was you. (laughs) You're acting like a toddler. Uh, it feels a lot like it was. You know, Esther says, Dad, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. And I promise you, we say that to God. We say to God, you don't know what you're asking of me. 
We will. You know, if you're on this journey of seeking and finding God's purpose, you'll say to God, you don't, this sounds great, you don't understand what you're asking me, God. You don't understand the ramifications for my life. You don't know how that will affect my relationships. You don't know all that I will lose if I do this. You don't know what you're asking. Well, here's what Mordecai says to Esther. He says, I do know what I'm asking. Listen to his response. When Esther's words were reported back to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's palace, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family, he's her father, will perish. And who knows, but that you've come to this royal position for such a time as this. He says, I do know what I'm asking, Esther. Look at me, Hadassah. It's me, Mordecai who picked you up after your parents' funeral and brought you into my home and I raised you as my own daughter. I taught you about our holy God. I taught you about his rescue. I taught you about the courage of our foremothers and our forefathers. I do know what I'm asking. I'm asking you to be willing to lose the palace to save the people. And Esther's like, oh, he does know what he's asking. He's saying, who knows, Esther? Maybe your whole life, maybe the whole deal. The being orphaned, the growing up in exile, the beauty pageant. Maybe all of it was about this moment in this place. Who knows, Esther? And guys, God will say to us, I do know what I'm asking. It's me, the one who's been with you the whole time. I was there at your parents' funeral. It's me, God, saying I'm asking you to be willing to lose the palace to find your purpose. And this is where Esther ventures into what we might call the unseen path, right? She has just taken her step onto the unseen path. Um, I talk to people a lot. It's sort of what I do. It's funny, this mom this week told me her little girls were asking uh, her, they said, what does Pastor Jacob do during the week? Which is a great question. I had, actually had to think about it. Um, and the answer is mainly, I talk to people, you know, I talk to people. And this month, this is crazy, it hit me this week, but this month is my, I just hit my 20th year of working at a local church. I've been talking to people for a long time. And there becomes this moment I've seen in so many people's lives where they say yes to God. And some kind, you know, something like this, a study like we're in, and they're like, yes, I want what you want, God. I want your purpose for my life, not my own. And immediately when you say yes to that, God will ask you if you're willing to lose the palace. If you're willing to let slip through your fingers your conception of how your life was supposed to go and what it was supposed to look like. You know, um, when, you, when you say yes to God, you step onto this unseen path. And that's where Esther is in this moment. So here's what she said. This is our last back and forth between Esther and Mordecai. This is how she follows it up. She says back to Mordecai, sends it with a messenger. She says, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Esther has a lot to teach us about what to do on the unseen path. And I know that's where a lot of us are. We've said yes, or we're really close to saying yes to God. I'm, I'm all in. I feel the tug. I want to go for it. And what you need to know, you know is, is that next step, you're not going to be able to see where it's going. <laughs> It's going to be this weird feeling of like, I just, I thought that was the deal. Like, I said yes to God, here we go. And then you're like, I have no, I don't know where to go now. It's a really common experience. So here's what Esther does. First, she asks for others to help. 
The first thing she does is says, Dad, will you gather together our family? Get the, get the folks together. Get them in the living room. Tell them, tell them what I need. Tell them my situation. Tell them about my life. She's opening up. She says, fast for me. Again, the book of Esther is not explicitly religious, but this fast for me, again, is her saying, pray for me. Go to God on my behalf and get the family. If you're on the unseen path right now or thinking of stepping on that journey, I have a question for you. You might even want to write it down. Who does God want you to involve on your journey? Who does God want you to involve on your journey? Because some of us are walking alone. I talk to people, you know, and I found out for a long time they've been wrestling with this purpose. What's next? And haven't talked to anybody about it. It's all in our head. And so I want to encourage you, set up that coffee meeting with the person you want to talk to. Talk with one of your pastors. Go sit on your, on your friend's front porch. Call your parents. Esther's first thing is, okay, Dad, I can't do this alone. Get the others. Join me. And then she asked for God's help. So we ask for others to help and then ask for God's help. Like I said, the fasting is, would be their way of saying, I'm turning you, to you, God, above all others, above food. The time on the unseen path is this amazing time when God becomes everything to you. Maybe you've followed God. Maybe you've come to church, but you're like at this place, you're like, I'm actually feeling desperate now. <laughs> like, I need God all the time. I need to turn to God. And it's a whole new way of following God. Uh, 2007 was a year for me and Rachel, my wife and I, of knowing God was calling us to something. Some of you heard us talk about it. We looked everywhere. We almost moved to Monterey, Mexico. We were up for anything, but we really had no idea where God was leading us. We ended up uh, moving back to Mount Juliet, moving in with my parents, which I don't recommend. Um, and we ended up starting uh, this, this church. But that year changed my life because I got to know God uh, in a way that I hadn't known God. You see, when you don't know what's going on, you can really get to know God. So like, if you're in a place right now, like, I don't know what's going on in my life. This is a great opportunity to really get to know God, to be desperate, to hang on to God. And then Esther lets go of the palace. She lets go of safety. We'll call that the palace. I've heard it said that there is no safe way to be great. There's no safe way to be great, and there's no great way to be safe. The unseen path, when you step out onto it, it makes you let go of safety. And you have to kind of step in trust every day. It's just like trust, 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 trust. Every step, you're having to hold on to God. I was sitting on the West Wilson Middle School bleachers this week. I was attending a middle school volleyball game that my daughter was playing in. And I'm watching her play, and I'm somewhere in the middle of the game. I'm sitting up on the bleachers, and it hit me that I was in our old sanctuary. It hadn't hit me. I, up until that point, I'd just been in the gym. And some of you guys know we met in West Wilson Middle School's gym for about four and a half years, which was only a, a, a portion of the time that we met in, uh, met in, in schools. And so sitting there, I, kinda, I think I added this up right, that we met in a school, this church did, for 416 Sundays, right at eight years, 416 uh, Sundays. And there were people uh, that actually sat up in the, in the bleachers. They were like, any bleacher people here this morning? These guys that sat in the bleachers? Yes, yeah, some of you. They were sort of like the outcasts of the church. You know, we, we, didn't, we didn't talk to them. They just sat up there and looked up. But 416 Sundays, we unlocked the door. We never knew what we were going to find in the school. You know, if the heat would be on or the air conditioning would be on. We didn't know if there'd be... Um, you know, like a school play set up in the, in the gym. Our children uh, met in, in the floors of hallways. 416 Sundays, we did it. And we, what I'm getting at is we had to let go of a lot. 
We just had to, it almost felt like every week we were letting go and letting go. Because we all came, a lot of us came with sort of what we thought church was going to look like, whether we'd been in church or not. And every week it's like we kind of had to let go of that to focus on the purpose. The only thing we had really was the calling to see those who feel disconnected from God and the church find hope, healing, and wholeness in Jesus Christ. And so we couldn't do this, and so we let go of that. And it didn't look like this, so we let go of that. But we held on to this thing in the midst of. And I want to ask you, if you want to write another question down, what is God asking you to let go of in this season of your life? What's God asking you to let go of? And I want to give you a, uh, a warning for, with love from my heart, and that is you may be stepping into a season that's 416 weeks long. Right? This is not about an easy fix or finding something really quick. It's about journeying with God. It's about taking, um, taking step after step after step. Part of this remembrance of this 416 Sundays thing for me was no one, including me, would have signed on for that if we'd known it was coming. This is all looking back, right? You ever do that? You're looking back on your, your life. And so if I'd gone to those people, uh, I see some of them in the room right now, Kristen and Sharon. I said to you guys, like, okay, we're going to meet in the school, right? And you're like, how long? Like, uh, give or take 416 Sundays. Nobody would have said yes, right? And so what did we do? We just set it up that week. You see? We just set it up that week. We just did it. We just took the next step. And that's what Esther shows us, that we're supposed to take the next right step. Esther let go of the palace and took the next step. She did not know what step 416 would be. She wasn't sure about step two. Esther ends up doing some amazing stuff. We've got two more weeks with her to kind of see what happens. But all along, you need to get this, Esther did not know that it was going to go well. She did not know how it would unfold. She didn't have Esther chapter 5 or 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or 10. She was living in chapter 4, and that's what you're doing. You're living in chapter 4 of your story. You you don't know what chapter 5 is. You're just right in the middle of chapter 4 like Esther. And what Esther teaches us is, I think she says, make sure you ask for others to help you and to join you. Don't isolate yourself. Turn to God like you never have before. You know, get desperate for God. Let go of safety. Let go of it. You know, let, let the palace slip through your fingers and then take the next right step, okay? Do that every day. Stay connected to people. Stay connected to God. Let go of the palace and take the next right step. That's called Monday, okay? And then you sit on your porch and you take a breath. And then Tuesday, stay connected to people. Don't isolate yourself. Call your mama, okay? Stay connected to God. Let go of the palace, and take the next right step. That's Tuesday. <laughs> so you see what this did for Esther is it trained her. It began to, to train her to not be a person of the palace, but to be a person of purpose. She let go of the palace to find her identity. This is great. Her greatest, she found that her greatest identity was not as the queen of Persia, but as a child of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you'd grown up in the empire, think what could be the greatest thing to be the queen? And she found that her, her greatest identity was actually not as the queen of Persia, but as a child of God. She began to identify more with the people who were outside of the palace than with her own riches and her comfort and her safety. Her life began to change when she heard that question. Who knows, Esther? Who knows? And as she began to identify with the people who were suffering, this is really important for today. As she began to identify with the people who were not in the palace, whose life was in danger, Esther began to find a courage she didn't know she had. She found a voice that she didn't know she had. 
and she found her purpose. You see what's happening is Esther became willing to lose everything for the people. She said, I mean, just imagine little Esther. If I perish, I perish. I know it's against the law, but I'm going. And she became willing to die for it. Some of you see that Esther is pointing us to Jesus. She's pointing us to Jesus. He gave up the palace for us. He gave up the palace for us. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or taken advantage of, but he lowered himself. This is, I'm quoting one of the earliest songs of the early church. It's found in Philippians chapter 2. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be taken advantage of, but instead lowered himself to the point of a servant. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, do you think Jesus ever went to God and said, you don't know what you're asking of me? Actually, yes, he did. One of our greatest uh, stories is that Jesus falls down on his face in a garden, begins to sweat drops of blood. That's how excruciating this wrestling that he's doing with God is. He's actually talking to God and saying, God, are you sure? Are you sure? (laughs) He says, if this cup could pass from me, just let it pass. But then Jesus says, but not what I will, but what you will. Not what I want, but what you want. And that's sort of the deal, guys. You have to come to a place and ask yourself that question. Will I go where God wants me to go? Will I do what God wants me to do? Will I let go of the palace? And the really cool thing is uh, the, the, the riches of this palace you conceived in your mind don't compare with the, the, with the riches of Christ. It, it seems uh, paradoxical or, or counterintuitive, but it's actually this lowering. Esther's actually not a story about an orphan being lifted up to the highest place. It's the story of the highest place coming down to rescue, which is our story. And so we ask ourselves this question, who knows, but that I have come to this position, that you've come to this place in your life for such a time as this. Let's pray together. God, thank you for um, speaking to us through this ancient story. We thank you for Jesus who's given up the palace for us, and we want to follow after his example Help us to notice the tug on our heart this week, the way you're moving in our lives. And we thank you that Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So teach us how our palace and our riches and our comfort and our safety are probably not really about something that we should use for our own advantage. But like Jesus, we can make ourselves low, be obedient to you, uh, be obedient to the cross like Jesus, that we would take the next step toward what you have for us, the purpose you have for us, which is the greatest, the greatest riches, of course. As we come to the table this morning, let this bread be for us the body of Christ. This cup, his blood shed for us and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us receive what you want to give us today, God. Let us be open to it. Those of us in this room and those of us who are watching, that we would now just open ourselves to be obedient to what you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.